The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, and thank you for tuning in today. Wherever you're joining me, whatever time of day, spinning through the cosmos <laughs> over the internet, I'm Diane Ray. This is Be Present, and I'm so glad you're tuning in today. Now, if you're listening out there, if you're thinking of having a baby or you know someone who is struggling, you are definitely going to be interested in today's show. For many women, the ability to conceive can be a real issue. And I've known a lot of women that have been through this, um, close friends of mine, and it's really heartbreaking to watch somebody deal with this. According to the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, about 9% of men and 11% of women of reproductive age in the United States have experienced fertility problems. And of course, we've heard fertility declines with age in both men and women. But the effects of age are much greater in women in their 30s. Women are about half as fertile as they are in their early 20s. And women's chance of conception declines significantly after age 35. Now, this is what, what we've read. And we're going to get some information today that might that might shift that. Male fertility also declines with age, but more gradually. Now, a lot of people go the IVF route or in vitro fertilization. It's often the go-to option provided to women. Now, this can be really heartbreaking. I've seen people just spend thousands of dollars on this process. It's so expensive, and many people are just ready to give up after this. Now, my guest, Julia Indichova, went through her own experience of infertility. And in 1992, she was told that IVF wasn't even an option for her and that her childbearing years were over. And Julia went on a pilgrimage of research and self-examination and created a self-healing program that resulted in her conceiving a baby naturally. And the Fertile Heart Workshops came out of that experience. So Julia is here today to share her story with us. And I urge you also to go and find out about her online at FertileHeart.com. So Julia, I'm so glad you could tune in today and join us. It's lovely to be joining you, Diane. Well, I'm happy to share this message with uh, the Unity audience, and I've been doing a lot of reading about you and doing some uh, research of my, my own on this subject, and your website is just such a great resource, so I hope people go and see what you have to offer. So on your website, you advise women to stop chasing that last good egg and to yeah. meet your child halfway. And yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. What did you mean about that? People are told that, you know, you have X amount of eggs and that's it. It kind of puts panic in women, doesn't it? It it definitely does, Diane. And, you know, those statistics that, that you mentioned uh, before a few minutes ago, they're certainly they're all around. And the fact about uh, the, the numbers about fertility declining after the age of 35, actually women you know, the definition of infertility is that if you're not conceiving after a year of unprotected intercourse, you are so, you know, you are labeled infertile. And what happens with women over 35 is that they are, they are told that they are infertile after six months of trying. And 
you know, certainly it's a no-brainer that the younger we are, the easier it is for us to conceive. But I find that 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 you know that those numbers and that kind of um, mindset that things are over for us and now we are too late for the baby train, that that has a very real effect on our biology. And it's it's interesting for me because we talk so much about the mind-body connection and every IVF clinic has a mind-body program. And then, you know, uh, what about the mind-body connection? What about what happens when a woman is walks into a clinic and she is immediately hand, handed this this booklet with the statistics telling her that that essentially she really needs to hurry up and start treat, treatment immediately. So, so yes, I call I call it the panic of the last good egg, and it it does not work in our favor. I I've seen. I've seen women in their 40s having beautiful, healthy babies, naturally, both naturally and with the help of medical intervention. And I have also seen women in their early 30s and late 20s diagnosed with all sorts of uh, problems, um, endometriosis, uh, underlying, you know, celiac disease, uh, so-called, they're diagnosed with uh, premature ovarian insufficiency, uh, which which I have renamed. We can talk about later about you know how language affects our experience of what we're going through. So, uh, so yes, it's true that when we try to conceive later in life that. Things might be might be for some of us more challenging, but to but I think it's really important to take a breath and to say, you know, I am exactly where I need to be right now for the perfect unfolding of my story. I'm not too late. I'm not too early. I am exactly where I need to be. So I, I love the title of your show about being present, you know, and, and part of being present is to be present for ourselves exactly where we are and, and you know, not to get sucked into this idea that our last good egg is going to run out any minute. Um, well, I love what you're saying about this because I'm a big believer in the mind-body connection and a big believer in belief. You know, I think a lot of the things that we hold on to, some of those old outdated beliefs are what hold us back from so much. And I have a big problem with doctors kind of giving you these mandates. As an example, um, a friend of mine was given a, a really dire medical diagnosis and the doctor told him, well, you have three weeks to live. And he, you know, was obviously upset about this and you know, I said, look, what is he, how, how does he know this? Like, I, I just don't think giving people those exact kind of 
sentences Ridiculous. and putting time limits on things, you know, it's just crazy. No, no one's going to know exactly yeah. what what yeah. will happen to him. You know, my mother had a similar diagnosis. She was told she had three to six weeks and she lived in another three years. So just, just what you're saying as far as belief, I think really makes such a big difference. Yeah. And some and holding on to some of those outdated beliefs is really damaging. I mean, as far as with conception, like my own sister, she had her first child at 41. I've known um, several women that have had babies, you know, into their early 40s. I mean, obviously, it is a, a lot harder. But I think now really? we have a lot more going for us, right? That right, we have a right. lot more resources. And it, it, it can be harder. And it also can be can happen you know when i started started trying for my first child this by the way was a so-called secondary infertility for me that means that i already had one child when i was trying to conceive and um and even with my first child i was you know i was told because i was uh, nearing 40 that um i was told that i it would probably take me uh, about a year, and you know we conceived on the first try. I mean, so uh, there is something. There is an interesting term. Speaking of not knowing the future, you know, uh, there is an interesting term in the world of reproductive health called um, unexplained infertility. And so, what that implies is that. Everything about our bodies and our biology is fully explainable. And, uh, as, and so, you know, that means, and what I see with the women who come to our studio is that they have, they, they had explained infertility, so-called explained infertility. That means that they were diagnosed with a specific problem. And supposedly, that problem was solved. And here they were, you know, six years later, and they were still there facing an empty nursery. So the, the fascinating thing, and that's why, that's why, you know, I'm so grateful for being able to do this work, is because it just calls, I'm constantly surprised. I'm constantly astonished with what can happen when we create what I call a conception-friendly space for, for something, you know, to, to beat the odds if, if we are told, you know, that, that the odds are against us. And, and, and what I have learned is that our job is not to control or to predict, but to simply create a conception-friendly space, to do whatever we can do to... Uh, Meet our children halfway. That's 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 also the the name of my workshops, and I I love that, you know, because because when it comes to creating life, I think that it's it's human arrogance 
to say that we have it all figured out. Uh, so, so I also want to make sure, since we're, you know, there, there might be people joining us or people listening who are going through medical intervention, who are uh, prepping for their IVF, who are, you know, getting ready for retrieval or an embryo transfer. So I also want to be clear is that I am in no way against uh, technolo- medical technology, assisted reproduction. Assisted reproduction is a wonderful tool that has made pregnancy possible for, you know, gays, lesbians, for single women. And I, you know, I'm celebrating right now uh, pregnancies of clients who I have worked with who have, um, who conceived through IVF. But what I don't find useful is when we use that technology as a shortcut, as, as a way of silencing our bodies and our hearts call for attention. Because then we are, you know, it's not just that it costs us terrible emotional toll, um, but it's also uh, we're missing this enormous opportunity that comes with this particular health crisis, you know? There's something about this life or health crisis that is an unbelievable opportunity, because, I mean, when you, look at, when you look at what it is that makes us humans really change, you know, really rise to the occasion and make major changes in our lives. I mean, what are the things that make, that, that press us to do that? Usually, it's a life-threatening disease, don't you think? I mean, when we are... right. When we are faced with a life-threatening disease, we just say, okay, all right, you know. It's time I'm, to do something. I'm ready now. I'm ready Right, now. well then. You know, tell me, just tell me what to do and, and I'll do it. And a fertility challenge is another crisis that can do that for us, you know, that can that can really wake us up to become engaged engaged in our own healing. And and so that's what's so frustrating for me. That's such see. a great point great point. I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was looking at the videos and what really struck me with a lot of the women and their stories was, was just what you're saying. This this process going through this was so life-changing and, and really forced them to kind of look at things and look at truths in their lives. And I like what, I like what you're talking about as far as cleaning things up. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about cleaning up uh, physically our bodies because you go into that with the program. But you're also talking about cleaning things up on an emotional level and really taking a look at yourself and asking some deep questions, you know, why, why am I doing this? What anger am I holding on to? Am I really communicating with my partner? You know, those kinds of things. And, yeah, and that's I where, mean, you talk- know, the mind body connection comes in for exactly. sure. And, 
I, I like to say that uh, even the term mind-body connection is a confusing term because the actually the the issue is that there is no mind-body connection, that the mind and the body have never been disconnected. The, you know, what the way I like to put it is that, the, you know, where I like to talk about the holy human loaf, not a loaf of bread, but this holy human loaf that is made of these inseparable ingredients, uh, and the, you know, our feelings are not taking place outside of our bodies. Our thoughts are not in a different state. It's all taking taking place in this gorgeous human miraculous instrument of creation, and we get into trouble not fully when we not when we don't fully acknowledge that, that there is no separation, there never was a separation. Uh, so it's, uh, and, and sometimes, I mean, I don't want to uh, marginalize the physical. Certainly the physical is important, and the, the practice that I teach, the program that I teach, is very much, it's a, it's a very down-to-earth program, and uh, we, our aim is to identify what is blocking conception on a physical, on an emotional, and on a spiritual level. Uh, but acknowledging that this is all happening in this one beautiful container. It's, uh, so when we are when when we are talking about the emotional, uh, when I am, you know, when I'm talking to a woman in the workshop and we are working with an imagery exercise that allows her to heal her guilt over an abortion that she had 20 years earlier and she begins to weep. That's a, you know, that's a biochemical process going on in her body, uh, and 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 sometimes that's all it takes. Uh, what's incredible for me to witness is, you know, when somebody comes to the workshop and they have gone through five years of. IVFs, uh, they've done, you know, they, they've seen a naturopath, they've done acupuncture twice a week, uh, you know, they did fertility yoga, they did all these things, and five years later, here they are, but the one place that they did not look and the one thing that they did not fully did not become fully present to are the are these battling battling forces inside them that um, are contributing to their challenge. 
Um, right. Those are huge factors. I mean, our emotional lives and our spiritual lives, it, you're right, it's, it's all intertwined. And a lot of times Western medicine will not address that or, or even, you know, acknowledge the existence of that. So I think yes. what, what you're doing is so important. It's, it's pretty amazing for me to, to see that, you know, to, to, uh, to give you an example. Uh, I was, uh, this is actually a, a client that I was working with, and, um, and she's been at this for years. And I was kind of taking in her history, and she said that when she was 18, her menstrual cycles suddenly became erratic. Something changed about her endocrine system. And I said, okay, so let's slow down. And, you know, tell me, I said to her, tell me a little bit about what happened, you know, what was going on in your life at around 18? And she said, oh, well, you know, I started dating. I, I, I actually um, started going out seriously. I had a, um, that was my first boyfriend. And then I said to her, oh, um, and um, what was your, you know, what, what is your religious background? And she said, you know, I'm, a, I'm Catholic. And I said, and was your family really, you know, very strictly strict, religious, your parents? Um, you know, did you go to church? And she said, oh, yes, yes, they were very, you know, it's, this was very serious. Religion was a, a very important part of our lives. And so I said, hmm, well, what do you think would have been the absolutely worst thing that could have happened um, in those days for you? And it was interesting, and, and, you know, and I asked her if she became, if she also became sexually active at, at 18. So, um, and she said yes. So I said, well, what would have been the absolutely worst thing that could have happened? And it was interesting because she couldn't come up with the answer. It was, you know, it was like so deeply repressed. It was so deeply hidden inside her that, that it took several minutes for her to say, well, the worst thing that could have happened was for me to get pregnant. I said, yep. Right, and, holding on to that. And she was, and, you know, so I said, isn't that interesting that your body responded to it, that, that that's when your cycles became erratic. And, um, you know, and then we did some work. Uh, we used, we used uh, some tools in the Fertile Heart Toolkit. And um, within weeks, she became pregnant after five years of all sorts of intervention. So, you know, stories like this are real, are so humbling. It's and and it's 
sad for me to witness that even with all this research coming up, you know, even um, we we talk so much about epigenetics, you know, about how how our genes are expressed um, differently in different environments, which makes a lot of sense. And yet the, you know, the, the role of emotions uh, and our spiritual lives and our beliefs, it's still very much marginalized um, in Western medicine. And, and I think we ourselves uh, kind of marginalize it. You know, we right. ourselves are not, are not fully claiming our power and are shying away from from fully engaging in our healing. So that's why I if you look at my if you look at my Facebook page and, and you look at our website, um, you know, our tagline there is you must become your own fertility authority. Right, because become your own advocate. That's so and true. You're absolutely. You're, you, your own strongest ally and an advocate because these days it's even more important than when I was trying to get pregnant and then when I, and, and when I was first, when I first started teaching because these days it's like, you know, you can be online 24 seven and, uh, you can be, you know, you have nonstop input from so-called experts, uh, and um, there, and there's no one size fits all, like you say on the website. And yeah, and and no one, you know, no one is is privy to the information that is buried deep inside you. No one is, and, and no one's desire to have this family is as strong as yours. No matter how, and right. no matter how well-intentioned your reproductive endocrinologist or your acupuncturist or your naturopath. You, you know the best. Hold that thought, Julia. We're not. going to take a... We're going to take a short break, and I want to get more into the program and some of the great information that you offer. This is so fascinating. Talking to Julia in Pechova, The Fertile Heart. We'll be right back. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, celebrating Pride Month with the LGBTQ community. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment by Ed McShane, a coach for your heart. When we're not feeling well, we tend to eat healthfully. 
Sickness illuminates our appetites. We drink tea instead of coffee. We eat soup instead of bread. We consume honey instead of sugar. We turn down the music. We speak in low tones. We walk a little more deliberately. We rest as we're able, and we catch up on our reading. Why don't we live our lives like this all the time? Letting go, speaking softly, receding from the urgency of life, and eating more soup sounds like a life we want to live every day. Add some flowers, a nice quilt, and some eastern-facing windows, and you've got a great foundation for a peaceful life. Illness, in its own odd way, reintroduces us to the components of how we should live, away from the noises and the stress that we so often overlook. This week, take a few hours to engage in all the behaviors that help you heal while you're sick. You'll reset your priorities from doing what you should do to doing what you need to do. To find out more about A Coach for Your Heart, visit acoachforyourheart.com. Experts say picking up a pen and paper and writing things down can have some amazing benefits. Spark some creativity by sketching, doodling, and writing down what you want in life with a set of Unity Inspiration Notepads. They come in three inspirational designs with themes of gratitude, intention setting, and visualization. These are great tools to keep on your desk and use every day. Just $12.99 for a set of three. Pick up yours today at unityonline.org shop. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. Stretch your mind and open your heart every Thursday at 10 a.m. Central with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien and the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way. Gain insights into spiritual principles that touch upon the most practical aspects of our lives, like work, relationships, health, and diet. Discover time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga, a philosophy for living a more fulfilled life in today's hectic world. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Thanks for joining me. We're back today with my guest, Julia Indachova and her Fertile Heart Program. And if you know anybody who is struggling with the pain of infertility or maybe a friend or a family member, this is definitely the show for you. So I'm happy you're joining us now. If you happen to be listening live, this show is also available to podcast. So I hope that uh, you're checking it out wherever you are. So also, if you have a call or if you want to call us or if you have a question, you know, the phone lines are open if you'd like to get in touch with Julia, 816-251-3555, if you have a question about infertility. So, Julia, before the break, we were talking about the mind-body connection and, and how important our emotional and our spiritual lives are to the health of, of our whole body. I loved you. You call this human loaves 
the human loaf. I thought that was a funny imagery. I just got an image of like a loaf of bread with legs, arms and legs, you know. Um, But it's true, you know, how and how important uh, the whole person is Mm -hmm. and how important it is for women to be their own advocates. And I see this all the time, not not only just with infertility, but with women's health in general. Like we just take... You know, I mean, you want to take the expert's advice and the opinion, but, you know, I'm all for, if I had some diagnosis, I would ask everybody, you know, more than one person. I mean, I would try to get all the information I could. I would ask as many questions as I could. And you really uh, stress that to be yeah. I mean, I our guess, own advocates. Yes, I'm, I'm definitely not advocating, you know, engaging with our doctors, but, but you know, the... The word doctor actually means teacher. And so, so our doctors are meant to encourage, to teach us about our bodies, to teach us about the remedies that they offer, and to encourage self-trust. So I am all for gathering as much information and getting as much support as we can As long as we don't abdicate, as long as we don't hand over our entire baby-making project to an outside authority. I mean, I think think you're right. This definitely applies to everything in life. Uh, I see that people sometimes ask me, well, what, what do I think of acupuncture, for example? And I say, it's wonderful acupuncture can be it is a wonderful holistic modality but there is one danger and that is something i see with people all the time is that once they they engage a practitioner whether it's an re a reproductive endocrinologist or an alternative or, or a practitioner of an alternative, of a holistic mo- modality. I actually don't want to call it alternative. I don't want to, it's, that's, that's another word I want to get rid of. Um, as soon as we engage the, the counsel of those people, some part of us goes, okay, they will take care of us. They will take care of me. I don't have to do any more thinking. I, I, all I can do from now on is follow instructions. So, and that's what, that's what was so life-changing for me when I was first diagnosed because for the first, almost for the first year after the diagnosis, all I did was I replaced the experts on Park Avenue uh, in New York, uh, the experts in the fertility clinics. I replaced those experts with the experts in the other boroughs, you know, the experts in, of other modalities. And it wasn't until I really ran out of money and... Uh, the baby wasn't showing up, that one day I had, this, I had this epiphany. And I thought, wow, I have an opinion on the diagnosis 
and it's different than the opinion of experts. And that was this incredible doorway to freedom for me because because it really was the first time in my life that I gave myself permission to have an opinion that was different from from the opinion of authority. And, and uh, you were diagnosed, to, to let the listeners know, you were diagnosed with low hormone levels and were yeah, told actually, to just kind uh, of... It works the other... It works With that particular hormonal problem, it works the other way. It's, uh, it, it was an escalating uh, follicle-stimulating hormone level. So they were... My follicle-stimulating hormone levels were were off the charts, were too high... Um, and and I was told that with those hormone levels, I had no chance of conceiving a biological child. And um, you know, and um, IVF was no longer an option. So, you know, looking back, of course, uh, that was my luck because I would have never dared to embark on this journey. Uh, I think. If I was, if I had been given a choice, you know, a cocktail of this and a cocktail of that, I probably would have followed that that road. And um, I, it it uh, it was this incredible research project. It turned into this incredible research project for me. And it and interestingly. You know, I was monitoring my hormone levels. And so the, the things that I did um, were, were lowering my hormones. And at some point, they were low enough. Uh, and I, when I called my doctor, I was, I was told that they would be willing at that point to do an IVF. And... For for a few minutes, I was in a panic, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I better do this really quickly. I have to call my husband. We have to go to the clinic. Uh, the doctor on the phone was saying, you know, you really should come this afternoon because we're going to show you how to inject yourself. And then I took a breath, and I said, you know, I'm on this road and something is working, and I want to continue on this road. And um, and actually, you know, became I became pregnant um, not long after that. So, so you really had to be intuitive in this and in this whole process and listen to yourself. And also, you have to think too when I mean I know IVF is really expensive. I've had friends that have gone through that process and I mean you, you have to take all of those things into consideration right I mean they're they're kind of playing on your fear that this is what you have to do and you know and you're some people I'm sure are going into debt over it because you have to think oh, that this is a big business yeah. right people are mortgaging their houses I had I had a client uh this is this is one of the most dramatic uh fertile heart stories is a, a client who went through 15 failed treatments 
and spent over two hundred. No, was it a hundred thousand dollars? You know, wow. over a hundred thousand dollars. And um, before she came to the Fertile Heart Studio, and her her uh, story is actually on on our website. She she wrote uh, she wrote a blog uh, after she had her little girl, and um, so she and her husband came to Woodstock. And uh, I don't remember now exactly, but it was uh, it was a, a few months after coming to the workshop and engaging with the tools and doing the the practice that she conceived naturally after 15 cell treatments. Uh, I think 15. nearly eight years, eight years of uh, an eight years. That's year unbelievable. Journey. So, um, and you can see, um, and people can read so many of those stories that you share on the website at FertileHeart.com. And yes. in the process that you you work with people, you know, you take them also on uh, a, a whole program of, you know, cleaning up their diet, looking at what they're eating. And I, and I was hoping in the uh, some of the time that we had left that maybe you could share some of the uh, fertility-friendly herbs that you suggest people use? Because I wasn't aware of this, that there are natural remedies that can restore ovulation or increase estrogen levels. And oh, and you work right. with people in that in that realm too, right? Uh, yes, but I, and, uh, and I could certainly, uh, certainly, certainly talk about it. Um, I, here, here is the way I, I like to talk about diet and herbs and, um, and that, approach to to boosting fertility. So the, so the first thing is to get rid of this idea of dieting uh, and to really look at what, what our relationship with our bodies is and, and to, you know, people, people say that they that they love this, that they want to have a child because they have so much love to give to the child. So what I say is that working with food in a loving way to really listen to the body, to really ask yourself, what is this, what is my body child asking of me? That it's a way for them to channel all that love that they are saving for the child and to channel it to be loving and kind to their body child. So to, to, to ask themselves, you know, how can I make the workload easier for my body so that this innate hormone balancing mechanism, this innate healing mechanism that is part of every human being can kick in and do its job. So how do I do that? How do I make sure that I don't go to bed with a full stomach uh, so that my body can do that balancing work during the night? How do I you know, ease the workload of the body by easing digestion. So looking at the combinations of foods that I'm eating. Um, how do I make sure that the organs of elimination 
are working properly so that I don't have this, you know, acidic load sitting there that that is going to affect um, how my body works. Um, I, how am I, I have a list of, on the website we have a, a, a page that uh, guides people toward um, eating alkalizing foods because the human cell works best in a slightly alkaline environment. Um, we have, uh, people can also look at this just, uh, as you said, there's lots and lots of information on the, on the website. There are basic foods, um, you know, filled with antioxidants. I have a page there with foods that, um, that um, increase estrogen levels, uh, foods that increase progesterone levels. You know, for example, people who have similar diagnosis to me uh, have low estrogen. So they would be looking at foods that increase estrogen levels. Um, so we, See, I didn't even know that was possible. That's so interesting. I didn't know that food could, could do that. It it's certainly could, can do, foods can do it. There are certain <laughs> foods that It's have, good to know. Yeah, there are certain foods that have um, estrogenic effect. Um, for example, and certain foods that have, that have progesterone um, like increased progesterone levels, like, um, for example, yams and sweet potatoes are rich sources of um, progesterone. They are um, things like, um, let's see, fertility foods that contain, um, that contain PABA, uh, it's called the para-aminobenzoic acid. Uh, they they stimulate, stimulate the function of the endocrine system, and uh, those foods increase estrogen levels. So those foods are, let's see, what are some of those foods? Um, almonds, for example, are um, estrogen-boosting foods. And there's a list of them, you know, I don't keep them all in my, in my head. Uh, right. But, um, <laughs> no, I didn't want to put you on the spot, definitely. So, but I just, yeah. uh, I wanted to touch on that, that uh, really the approach is so amazing because you're having people kind of detox, you know, their, their emotional lives, uh, their spiritual lives, you know, kind of getting, asking themselves questions, get, getting things cleaned up there, and then also kind of cleaning up your, your body individually and how, you know, everybody is such a self-contained machine, you know, what might work for one person might not work for another. So you really look at the whole person. Exactly. And I, I think and then, that's, that's so wonderful. Yeah. And then, you know, Diane, it's also, uh, that's why I shy away from giving kind of, um, giving specific recommendations, even on herbs. I mean, there are, sure. uh, I, list, I listed five very, very safe herbs. Uh, on our website, you know, nettle and dandelion and oat straw. Those are really just generally really simple 
wonderful uh, energy-boosting, estrogen-boosting herbs. Uh, they are herbs, uh, for example, Ostra, that calms the nervous system. But I, but I also want to be careful when I talk about herbs because it's so important that people take, people take them carefully, that they take, you know, work with one infusion at a time um, because even with the safest herbs, you really want to pay attention to how your body responds. That's why I, um, I am distrustful of, um, you know, all sorts of uh, herbal uh, remedies uh, that are sold under the and called, you know, fertility boosting this and fertility boosting that because there's a, there's a mixture. Many of them have a mixture of many different herbs. And I often come across clients who have adverse reaction to those things. And they don't know which one of those herbs they are reacting to because there's so much, you know, there's, there's so many different compounds in, uh, in them. So I'm very much an advocate of going easy, of paying attention how your body responds. I mean, there's, uh, the, I also have a, uh, we have a little tutorial on the website on how you make yourself an infusion and um, and I talk about this idea of really being careful and um, and and paying attention what your what your body's response is. Uh, right, absolutely. Proceed with caution on that. Yeah, because um, you can hurt you know, yourself. Definitely. And uh, and and that's why, to me, this idea of being anchored in your own self-trust and really earning this title of being your, your highest fertility authority, doing the work that it takes to not just say, well, you know, my intuition will guide me, but to do the inner work to, to work with, in, in the case of the Fertile Heart Ovum, program to work with these specific tools that allow us to grow more confident in in guiding ourselves and in recognizing what works and what what doesn't right this is such valuable information you're sharing and we just um we've got a few minutes uh, left to the end of the show but i did want to touch on on this point that sure. I thought was was really interesting from your website that when you're working with people, you also work with them in the adoption process. Oh and yeah. If if people you know choose to take that route, you know you can you say that you can really create this into uh, a pilgrimage of self discovery and faith. Oh. And I just yes. wanted you to I mean, touch on that because I think that's an important um, avenue for people to consider as well. Yes. There's a beautiful, beautiful adoption. One of, one of my favorite, to me, most miraculous stories uh, is, a, is an adoption story that we have uh, on our website. And it was also, you know, the, the, the woman, the mom herself, 
wrote the story. Uh, and to me, those stories are really stories that show us that that this journey is about far more and the opportunity for healing is far greater than just this possibility of a biological pregnancy. Um, I like to call I like to call the the fertile heart ovum program a birthing practice. And what we give birth to and who we give birth to is not just the child. We give to also give birth to the the mother that we are. We give birth to the many unborn parts of ourselves. So it becomes, it truly becomes a birthing journey. And when people engage with these, the ideas and, and the tools of the work, they know that the child that comes into their lives is indeed a child that they gave birth to. Maybe they didn't give birth to it to that child physically, but they certainly gave birth to it in every other way. Uh, so I love working working with people who are on an adoption journey because to me, the work is the same. The process is the same, is, is to make sure that this challenge becomes this incredible healing opportunity in your life, that you can look back at it, you know, five years from now and feel that you went through this wonderful, not easy, but a life-changing journey. Oh, I could imagine. And, and I like that it really opens up the idea of, of the word mother and the word parent. It's not just a physical act of giving birth. You know, like you're saying, to, to be a mother is really so much more than that, than just the, the physical act. And so it's yeah, beautiful we, that you work with people, you know, in the adoption process. Yeah, to, I mean, to think I, about I that. That's that's again. That's what I want to make sure that there's no misunderstanding about my work. I uh, I, I work with people, the who are on the journey to birth a family, and whatever journey they're choosing, my intention and the aim of the practice is that is that they turn it into something wonderful in their lives and not not into something that will leave them bitter. Right, we'll, absolutely. Know, yeah. Well, this is such amazing information you're sharing today, and we've just got about two minutes, but I do want to get in the events that you have coming up. So if this speaks to you, if you've been listening today and you're interested in finding out more about Julia's work, uh, she will be doing a workshop in Woodstock on July 21st, and this is a Fertile Heart Workshop. 
And also you'll be doing a workshop at the Art of Living Retreat Center in North Carolina in October. So if you're planning ahead, you might want to check that out on their website, Art of Living Retreat Center. And when someone goes to an event, you know, uh, one of your workshops there, what what can they expect? It's a a three-day event. Oh, so the the Art of Living workshop is a three-day event. The Woodstock workshop is a one-day event. Okay. Yes. Two two different things. And they can find out more, you know, on the individual website. Go to Art of Living Retreat Center if you want to find that out. I mean, is, is there still... Uh, time to sign up for your July 21st event if you're and that's Woodstock New York yes yes people uh, they can just go on the events page of uh, of fertileheart.com and they can sign up for that and and people who can travel to Woodstock or can travel to the Art of Living Center they can sign up for an online class I also lead a three-session introductory series because some people are far away, uh, people who, who dial into some of those online classes are in different parts of the world, Europe, South Africa. So helpful. Australia. You're connecting, uh, you're connecting people all over the world. And Julia, it's been so wonderful to talk with you today. I hope people go to your site, fertileheart.com. And find out more about birthing a family. Thanks, Julia. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.